Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And someone said, someone, I don't think there's a murder she wrote role-playing game you know there's another role-playing game like that i was like no there's not that's a good idea i love murder she wrote i've seen every episode of murder she wrote three times like that sounds great and then lowell francis who is the community manager of the gauntlet and the author of a fantastic game hearts of the limb lowell says what about cthulhu she wrote brindlewood bay may have one of the most surprising origins of any game we've discussed on this show Jason talks about where Brindlewood Bay got its start. We go over the beginnings of the Gauntlet community, and you'll want to stick around to the end when we learn what Jason believes defines him as a designer. Now, Brindlewood Bay is currently on Kickstarter. You'll want to check it out, so scroll down and you'll find the link in the show notes. This show is possible because of the generous support of the Third Floor Wars patrons on Patreon. I want to welcome our newest supporters and floor heads, Nick Sauer, Joe Slentz, Jesse Watson, Lucas Mian, Dan Porter, and Naomi Dempsey. Because of them and the other 100 plus patrons, I'm able to bring you content on a weekly basis. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Jason. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads, to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to any winning podcaster, game publisher, and designer, Jason Cordova. Jason founded the Gauntlet Gaming Community and published the Codex Zine and Trophy RPG. He's currently kickstarting the already popular Brindlewood Bray RPG. Jason, welcome to the third floor. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. And I realized I, I should call it the Media Empire Gauntlet Community. <laughs> yes. I should call it. It's like, it is a very tiny empire, yes. Global. <laughs> it, it is global, but it is very, um, very little. No, no, it's 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 good. We've been at the Gauntlet for a while, and um, we have a lot of fans. We're very grateful for them, but we are a pretty modest operation, all things. Well, um, you guys put out good stuff, so. <laughs> so, um, Jason, what I always make all my first-time guests do, and I apologize because I'm sure you've done this before, is I like to know your origin story. Um, so now you, you know, you, you make games, you publish games, you talk about games, but at some point you knew nothing about role-playing games yeah. at all. And then it got put in front of you for the first time. Can we go back there? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I started playing role-playing games in the fourth grade. I discovered uh, so basically my dad used to take me to this comic book shop in oceanside california and um 
I did not know what role-playing games were, but I saw on the shelf the boxed set of Marvel superheroes. Nice. The, uh, the advanced one, not the yellow box, like the sort of bluish box. You're not right? that old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me date myself a little bit. Um, but So I, I saw it. I didn't know what it was. I knew it was a game of some sort. I knew you got to be Marvel characters in some way. And so I convinced him to buy it for me. And I spent honestly probably like a month or so maybe longer uh reading it not understanding at all what what it was i had no idea i just had no i didn't really know what dungeons and dragons was i um i had just no frame of reference for like what a role-playing game was and so i'm reading these these books these little booklets and i was just like i don't get it like i don't, I don't know what i'm supposed to do you know I, I don't know what this is and an older kid came over and um, he had experience with them. And so he, he, he ran it for me. He, he played it with me and taught me how to do it. And I actually remember really well, actually. Uh, so I played, um, I played a villain uh, who <laughs> controlled electricity, which I was like the coolest thing I could think of at the time. And I, I was going to go rob this jewelry store, right? That was the, that was a little mission. And I really distinctly remember very vividly. It's it's still it's a moment that still sits with me. Frankly, um, I remember this kid, uh, this older kid, asking me like, "Well, what do you do?" I'm outside the jewelry store. He's like, well, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "What do you mean? What do, you, what do I do? Like, do I roll dice or something? Like, I don't know. What do I do?" And he's like, "No, just like tell me what you do." And I was like, oh, "Well, okay." Um, I guess I checked to see if there's like an alarm or something, you know. And so, and we just got that conversation going. Yeah. And, as it started to dawn on me, like what, um, what was happening, like that moment, that feeling like that, that was it for me. I was like, I'm sold. This is for me. This is what I want to do. Right. And, um, and so I, from there, I, I just kept at it. And, uh, I think we, uh, my friends and I, I think we, we spend most of our time, honestly, just like statting Mega Man bosses in marvel superheroes and stuff like that right but we did play also and um and eventually we moved on to like uh 2e was my first like DD edition um we did all the palladium stuff we did shadow run we did uh, a little bit of vampires i got older um things like that i took a break from role-playing games in uh, essentially like in the aughts like in the early 2000s i didn't play role-playing games during that time i was doing board games then and but I came back in 2013 because I had started to learn about these very, like, very indie small press role playing games, right? Um, things like uh, Jason Morningstar's The Shop All Heary Roach, um, nice. some stuff John Harper was doing. Uh, you know, there, there were just these like really cool little games and i was like i want to play these like this is this feels like this sort of bespoke experience i've maybe kind of want in my life right now as an adult you know and so that's where the gauntlet came from because i was looking for somebody to play these games with me and so i just moved to houston for my work and i couldn't find anyone to play the games with me I, I, everybody was doing pathfinder at that time it was like right it was basically all you could find was pathfinder you know and so I just found this group on, on Google Plus, uh, uh, Google Plus. RIP, uh, Google yeah. Plus. Um, <laughs> this group on Google Plus, it only had like 20 members or something. It was very small. It was not active. It was called The Gauntlet. And I no, just posted. Yeah, I just posted. I was like, hey, um, 
this group doesn't seem to be active, but I'm in Houston now, and I would like to try these games out if anybody wants to play them with me. And so um, this guy, Carrie, he he was like, "Sure, uh, we can we can play at my uh, my office park, you know, on Friday nights after work, right?" Um, now this is in Houston. Uh, his office park on a Friday night. They've turned the AC off for the weekend. Uh, so that wasn't fun. Um, but, but it was nevertheless a joy. I mean, we, so we just started, we started playing like these little games and we, we played some at the time sort of like developing OSR scene games. We played some of those. Uh, we did play some more traditional, bigger stuff as well, but mostly we focused on the smaller stuff and one day a week became two days a week, became three days a week, became uh, eventually we, our, our big marquee night was Wednesday nights. They still do that in Houston. That was, you no know, kidding. all these years later. Uh, Wednesday nights, uh, they have like four or five, six tables going at once. Um, we just built it and built it and built it, you know. And then around 2015, when I left Houston, uh, the gauntlet became a strictly online uh, entity, basically, at that point. Um and then uh, later on, when we started getting into publishing and stuff, um, we 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 made it a business entity in Texas um, a few years later. But uh, but yeah, that's basically my story. Yeah. So I've got all kinds of questions. Oh, here. Yeah, sorry, I didn't <laughs> okay. on and on. on but, you know. No, this is good. So the first thing I want to know is, you know, it's one thing when you know you're a kid and you 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 grab faster for the first time and you're trying to figure it out. And, you know, you have a, uh, and this is all, it's so interesting how two things, one, you know, how generationally early on, that's such a big part of the game. I had an mm-hmm. uncle, I had a bigger brother, yeah, right? yeah. like that, which is really, it's kind of a neat part of the story for a lot of us that find games. But, um, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, burned it, obviously burned a huge memory in your mind, but n- now you're an adult. Mm-hmm. And when you go when you look back as an adult, do you have kind of a, a sense of why this thing hooked you the way it did? Um, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, is I was a, uh, I was a very like, I had like no friends. <laughs> like I was a very like no friends, a uh, very badly bullied child. Um, and I think a lot of it was because for me, um, especially once I got to like 2E D&D and I became the dungeon master, you know, um, I think it was a way of me of, it was kind of a way of finding friends. It was a way of, um, you know, I had some really, really bad years, you know, because my, my grade school and middle school experience was so bad. Mm. Um, and, but role-playing games always kind of saved me, you know, like role-playing games are always like the thing that I sort of retreated to, you know, and, uh, that's where my friends were. And, you know, I, um, I wouldn't trade those like, weekend long you know stay over like you know stay over at a friend's house for an entire weekend on rpg benders you know staying up until four in the morning getting up having pancakes and playing until four in the morning again you know um i mean it was and so it was a it was an escape it was my childhood it was Mm -hmm. how i made my friends whenever i would go somewhere new because my dad was in service whenever we would go somewhere new i i had this thing that i could like I could, I could use to find people, you know, I could find my tribe wherever we were at, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think that was, I, I think, I think that the way that role-playing games are special to me is, is, is that reason, right? Like they do, right. they have always kind of been there for me, like in a really like kind of, um, like kind of supportive way. They've kind of been my savior in a lot of ways. And I think, um, I think with the gauntlet, you know, I think with the gauntlet, I've always thought like, it is truly me trying to recapture 
those weekend long gaming, you know, yep. experiences, you know, except with this time with a much bigger group of people. And, um, and obviously, you know, we all have, you know, adult lives and stuff, but, um, but I think that spirit, the spirit of that, like little kid, like absolutely fuels everything that I do in the gauntlet at least. So, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting from a bookend standpoint, how, in its own macro way, as an adult, you did it again in Houston, where you use role playing to find people, you to find friends, yeah, <laughs> yeah to establish social yeah. circles and yeah. and to make those connections again. I think that's really neat. Well, and, and and when I was getting back into role playing games too, right? Like it was like I was in a new place, and it was almost like, okay, well, I'm in a new place, and. I've kind of had these games in the back of my head anyway, so let's just start anew, you know, and uh, delve into this, what turned out to be a very interesting new part of my life. It's not my job now, right? Like I, I'm an attorney, but I haven't practiced for a couple of years because I, I just role-playing games are, they support me, you know? So I, I'm able to, to do all that and it's a joy. And if you had like, um, I think like if you had asked fourth grade Jason, like you're told him, like, you know, someday you're going to be a role. You're going to make these games. I would have believed you. I'd be like, yeah, I know I am. Cause I just, <laughs> I just stabbed out all the Mega Man two bosses and Marvel superheroes. And I'm a fucking genius, you know? Um, like I would have been that person, you know, I would, but I, but there was years in the middle, especially like once I started my career and different things after college and after, um, and after law school and stuff, I would have just thought that was absurd. Like, that's just an absurdity. Like, no, I'm not going to make role playing games for a living. Like, give me a break. Um, but but I think that, you know, it it was I think like the time when I decided to really like lean into it and do it is it was the right time for me. You know, um, I think I, I've managed to bring a lot of my life experiences into how I run this publishing, you know, this publishing and podcasting business. And um, and I love it as much as I've ever loved it. So That's great. there's no reason to like, I don't know, to me, I. I, I, you know, I, I get to wake up every single day and do this thing I really, really love, you know, and am I, is it like the same like level of like prestige of being a lawyer? Maybe not. I don't know. But I promise you more people know me as in role playing games than they did as an attorney. So, <laughs> so that, that's going to count for something. It was right? for the fame and fortune. Yeah. We know, Jason. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, that like there is um, I absolutely I know some people, I sometimes see people online and they're like, oh, I, I feel like I'm too old to get into this or whatever. No, you were not. You were definitely not, right? Like, by the time the gauntlet got going, I was, um, let's see, how I was like 37, 36. And by the time we got really serious about it as a business, I was already in my 40s, you know? So it, it's not too late. You can do it whenever, you know, when the universe comes calling, you know, whenever that is, just answer it. So, so I'd like to go back to two moments. One, I want to go back to you discovering the indie game scene. You mentioned uh, uh, Jason's games and John's games. Um, if you now look back at kind of that landscape, when you started delving into that, what are some landmark games, games that that you discovered uh, again, you know, when you came back in that that obviously have burned into your brain at this point? Are, are there a few yeah. signposts? There are. Yeah, I think there, I think there are. Um, now I will say, though, in those early days of the gauntlet, like 2013, when I came back, I, we were playing lots of games. I mean, I can't even like begin to express the the pace that we were discovering games, yeah. playing games, getting them to the table a couple years later, talking about the one podcast like we were keeping up a really strong pace. But there were a few games that I think were always easy to sort of go back to for different reasons. You know, um, I think that um, I mean, 
without doubt the most important game to the gauntlet is is probably the one two punch of apocalypse world well one one three punch apocalypse world monster hearts dungeon world right those are the three that we built our reputation off of and um uh and so just as a sort of organization we owe a lot to those games um they, yeah. they're a very big inspiration for everything we do um I would say games like uh, Dogs in the Vineyard by Vincent Baker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vincent does not really uh, claim that game anymore for different reasons, and I don't necessarily blame him for that. Um, I don't even think it's the best design game. It's got a lot of like problems design-wise, in my opinion, but it is undeniably a unique work of art right like it is a it changed things it did right yeah it is it is it is undeniably like a thing um dread another game i don't love actually i don't enjoy playing it um and epi knows that (laughs) but it is undeniably influential right it is a game that i look to when i think about the possibilities of what mechanics can do how they can help convey emotion right Mm -hmm. um my Life with Master by Paul Seca is another nice. one. Um, Siren by Meg Baker. Um, gosh, I mean, there, there's I could I could go on and on. Um, there are some that just like live really close. Um, honestly, the games that like are kind of design wise the messiest. These because a lot of these like earlier ones really were, mm-hmm. um, especially with twenty twenty two eyes. You know, um, they are some of my favorite because they are just like this. These really like. Um, just it was just people just like doing something new you know like you know like that's exciting right you know um games like inspectors games like the shovel harry roach a lot of jason morningstar stuff in fact um yeah so there's a bunch of games um the one that i play a lot still to this day uh is the final girl by brett gillen which is the final girl's great it's a um and I have always been the single biggest advocate of this game, by the way. There's like no other person who's a bigger advocate. I'm a bigger advocate than Brett is, okay? The Final Girl is a game where you're basically creating a little slasher horror flick, right? Nice. And it is a um, it's troop-style play. So everyone makes a character, or you make three or four characters, and you put them in a big pool. And then every round, you play a different character. And then you have a little a little card mechanic to determine which character gets killed by the killer that round. And you just go around until you're left with the final character, right? Um, It's a brilliant design. It's very, very fun to play. It almost has a, um, to me, it's like, uh, I'm sure there's been other things since then, but, but it is one of the games that like felt the closest to like a party game, like a role-playing game party game, you know, like, like something that truly feels like it could break through to like just normal non RPG people. Right. You know? Um, So I love it for that reason. It's easy to pull out with a mixed group of people. And um, yeah, so that's another, that's another one that I play a lot still. Yeah, I've, it's a game that has been on my list, and uh, I've got a good friend of mine, Kyle, that won't shut up about it. And now you go on about it, so I'm going to end up buying yeah, it. Shot. Yeah, shot. <laughs> um, so the other thing I want to talk about in, in, in the story you told is the moment when you make the decision. I'm going to I'm going to take a run at this, right? Um, and there's and and I've heard this story from a few different people, and it's always slightly different. There's this there's this 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 you know. I'm in, I'm in one, I'm in my career, I'm doing what I'm doing. And then this gray malaise, and then Mm -hmm. you make the, you make the run. Can we go back to that moment where you finally, like the time where you said, maybe I can do this. And and then when you finally pulled the trigger and what pushed you? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, so there's a really specific thing to push me, um, which is I uh, I survived a fight with cancer, <laughs> and so. Oh, jeez, Jason! I didn't know that. Holy yeah, shit! It's not. It's not like this is probably. I've actually really never talked about it much. So it's this. Your listeners might be the first people to really like hear me talk about it much. Um, but, but that's. But it was. It was. Uh, it ended up not being as scary as I thought it was. It was not as bad as they originally thought it was going to be, and so, but I. It was one of those like clarifying moments where it's like, <laughs> you know what. Um, maybe you should stop worrying about what people think of you and you should stop worrying about being unhappy, doing what you're doing and do what makes you happy. Um, Shit. so that was a thing, but having said that though, uh, I think even without that though, I would have eventually reached this point. Um, I maybe not as quickly, I probably wouldn't have pulled the trigger as quickly. Um, I think the pandemic helped in a way because, um, it was just another sort of like clarifying thing. You know, it's sort of like, it, it really puts a lot of things in perspective. I think a lot of people right now are having these like sort of like reckonings with their lives and their, their jobs and, you know, and, and balance think, everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that is another part of it. And um, so it was a confluence of things, but I, I would have eventually got there. Um, I do think that my health scare and then the pandemic shortly thereafter, uh, they were almost like one on top of each other. If you can imagine, wow. I had like three really not great years um, as far as that goes. Um, but those uh, those things definitely accelerated my push to just do whatever the hell was going to make me happy. You know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that was it. I mean, yeah, um, it's it's not easy because, you know, my partner at the time um you know, when it was, when it started to look like I was getting kind of serious about this as a business, he wasn't super supportive. And so that was a, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to have to go through, you know, when like the person who, when you're with somebody who just, who just doesn't see it the same way you do, and you're maybe not the best at communicating it, <laughs> you know, um, well, and, and it exposes something about the relationship, the relationship that you were in. Yeah. 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 Probably it was always there maybe, but like, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're still really good friends, and I think he understands better, like, what what I was kind of going through, you know, when I was sort of, like, getting serious about the gauntlet as, like, a – this is even before I thought of it as a business. It was more just, like, a very intense passion that I, you know – we had a successful Patreon, but it was, like – I still never really considered it a business. <laughs> like, the Patreon just paid the bills, and that was kind of it, you know? Um, and so, yeah. Um, but now I just – you know, I do things for me, and – it sounds a little selfish sometimes, but honestly, it's I, I'm I'm doing this for me, and I love that other people are along the ride with me. I love that people love what I do, and I'm happy to I'm happy that I I'm happy that I still run four games a week. You know, like I I still do that. You know, like these like I I'm doing the things that make me happy, and um and I have a I have a I have a, I have a publishing partner now, so it's both of our my uh, my, my my partner David. Um, uh, publishing partner, David, um, he, uh, <laughs> he'll laugh at that. Um, he, he's kind of, he's really helps me like on the back end, like, you know, kind of keeping the business side of it under control, keeping, making sure all the trains are running on time so that I can focus on being the, the talker, the game runner and, you know, and the game designer. Right. So that helps a lot as well. So Sometimes this can happen and it's, it's sounding like it didn't happen to you, but there might be moments of it where um, it's a great hobby and it's a great way to unplug and to spend time with your friends and, and just get away. 
and it's your job now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wondering how often one can corrupt the other for you. Um, so this, could, this might be the best answer ever, uh, but but so far never. Uh, I, I I love it too much. I love it too much. Uh, I just do. Like I, um, I I think what makes it work for me is um, I otherwise have no social life. So that's like that's one. It's the only reason I live the house. Craig, I don't do anything. I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I am I am a loser. Um, like I love role, I play role playing games. That's I, I all see I do. you, Jason. I see that's you. All I do. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I, I could, I could do this and I could, I could do this until I'm old and gray and then in the grave. I, I hope I'm, I'm GMing games because I don't like to play. I'm only a GM. I hope I'm GMing games until the last minute. Right. Um, oh, yeah, no, I, I think what makes it kind of work for us, um, and I'm speaking for David as well is we do keep in touch with the parts of the hobby that we love, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, we've made into a business and that's something that we're doing. Uh, we're trying to be as serious as we can about that, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, he and I both still run several games a week. Um, we still, we, we hold like writing contests in our community just to get people excited about creating things because to me, creation is part of the fun, right? Yep. Um, we, still do the podcasts, right? Like I, the podcasts have almost no direct bearing on our publishing business at all. It's just something we do because we love to do it, you know? Um, and so I'm still, even though we're starting to be more serious about the gauntlet as a business, at least on the publishing side, I'm, I'm doing my best to stay in touch with the parts of the hobby that I love. Right. Um, like the games I run every week, uh, it's, it's, there's a couple of set groups, but for the most part, it's just people in our discord. And I'm just like, Hey, I'm running a game and I'm running a game in May. I've got three sessions. It's going to be at these times. And somebody like, awesome. I want to play. And somebody I've never met. Um, I know that I know that it's really thrilling for them because they know me from podcasts and stuff and they probably watch my YouTube. And so they're excited to play and I'm excited to give that experience to them, you know? Um, and yeah, so I, I, it's, it's very, very rewarding. Um, that's all I do. <laughs> so there's no, there's this, you know. I have to tell you, Jason, as somebody who consumes what you create, um, the, and, and I'm not surprised in having this conversation with you because your love and enthusiasm is part of what makes what you make good. Right. And, and it's part of what makes watching you fun. It's part of what makes listening to you fun. And it's part of, I think, what shows up in your game. So um, uh, like I said, I'm not shocked at all having the first time actually to talk to you. Um, but that's very cool. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk to Jason about uh, a little game called Brindlewood Bank. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You like science fiction, right? You love playing games, maybe even role-playing games. But what if you can't get your friends together for a game night? 
If you love games like Mothership or Orbital Blues, check out Dead Belt, a card-based space western solo strategy RPG about skillful and desperate scavengers picking over the remains of junked starships in hopes of a juicy payday. In it, you deal with lurking dangers, push your luck, and walk away with enough cred to keep on flying. Of course, you might get eaten by lurking aliens, or run afoul of rival scavengers, or face the murderous ghosts of long-dead spacers. <laughs> no one said life in the dead belt was going to be easy. For more information on this and all of Sean and Abby Drake's games, swing over to acoupleofdrakes.com. The link's in the show notes. So now that we understand, Jason, the, your origin story and really the origin story of the gaming community as well, um, I want to find out when you got the bug. So hmm. I hear this from a lot of creators where I play the games, you know, I create at my table, I, I, I hack this game and so on and so forth. But then there's a moment where you say, I think I've either got something or want to get something that I want to put out to the world. And do you mm -hmm. remember when that happened? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, I by the time I started working on my first game, which the first game I started working on was a game called The Between, which is about uh, gothic. It's a gothic horror investigation game. Um, by that time, I was already putting out podcasts. I was already we were already publishing the Codex magazine. Um, we we already had a very like vibrant community and I was writing little things that we kind of put in codex sometimes, but it was nothing like a big major game, you know? So unlike some people, I was already like putting things out in the world, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't. So for me, it wasn't like a lack of putting things out in the world. I was well in the middle of that. I think what it really just came down to is I, and for me, a lot of times it's like, I see something, a television show or something like that or a movie. Mm -hmm. And I think I wish it was a game of that. <laughs> and importantly, I wish it was a game of that that worked in the way I want it to work, you know? Yeah. And in the case of the between, it was the TV show Penny Dreadful. And I remember thinking, gosh, I, I love this show. I wish there was a game that did this. I know there are gothic horror games. Um, there are even gothic horror monster hunting games, mm -hmm. but they don't work the way I want them to work. They're not quite what I want. I don't think they're going to give this particular experience I'm thinking of. And so I'm going to give it a shot. You know, that's basically it. It was pretty simple as far as that goes. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much how it started. It was kind of just a solving a practical problem I was having <laughs> um, at that time. This would have been like late 2018. I was already kind of thinking about the next stage of the gauntlet anyway. And in the gauntlet, I've always considered it my role to sort of like show the way, you know. And so I was like, well, OK. If I'm going to, if we're going to be putting out like standalone games, um, I want to show how I want us to do it, you know, like the level of design and development, uh, the editing, the, you just, just, I just wanted like a complete vision. Like I want to, this is our thing, you know? And so that's when I, that was part of it as well. It was like sort of getting ready to take the gauntlet into what would become our next phase as far as that goes. And so... 
it wasn't really like a particular desire to put something out in the world because I was already doing that. It was really just, um, you know, just kind of like the, the next like step, I guess. Um, I, and, and I think also I just wanted a, I think it was, I was thinking a lot about like, you know, what are the things that people will remember, you know? And, um, and so that was a part of it as well. It was like this like weird idea that I wanted to have like, I wanted to have a full legacy in the hobby. And so a game, I needed a game, you know? Um, we were already kind of like prepping to put Trophy out in the world, which is not my game, but I've been pretty intimately involved in every step of its creation. And um, but, and and that was pretty close to that, you know, but that was still Jesse's game. Jesse Ross was mm-hmm. mine. And so, um, yeah, I think that was, that was part of it as well. So with the podcasting, with the YouTube channel, and then with making games, you know, obviously a big driver for you, you've already talked about it, is your love, right? You This is what you enjoy doing. What I enjoy right? doing, yeah. And in theory, you would do it in a room by yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. You enjoy doing it so much, right? But, and, and I can understand this and I want to know the balance of it. How much is it when it comes back, right? So how much, how much is the feedback from the podcast fuel your love of the podcast? How much is the feedback of people that play your games coming back to you, fueling you to make games? Um, Cause it's, I, I am, it's gotta be, it's either 90, 10, 50, 50, like, and, and I want to get a sense of, uh, of how much the energy that comes back to you, how important that is. You know, I can't say I've thought about it in those terms, but I do think that there's something there, right? I love when I hear about someone starting a brand new campaign of Brenda Wood Bay or lately the between, right? Like I, uh, cause the between did eventually come out, but after Brenda Wood Bay. Um, and I do get a, like a jolt of like, of, of joy from that. Like it gives me a lot of it. It's, you know, pumps me up. Um, Brenda Wood Bay has gotten to the point where I can't keep up with all of it. Right. Like there are, there are too many streams and podcasts and things. And I, and I love that. That's great. But I, I wish I could keep up with all of it, but I can't, you know, um, I, I, I think for me though, um, the people playing it is a big part of it. Um, if we sold, you know, if we sold like, 5,000 copies of a game and I never heard about people playing it. I, they were just buying it as a, I don't know, like just a thing to have on their shelf or whatever. I would, I would be a little disappointed by that. Yeah. Which it is. Yeah. That's, and a lot of people, that's what they like. That's what they like to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, but play is like really, really important to just the gauntlet to me specifically. Um, I've designed the games. We have designed the games to have like play at the very forefront. Like it is not a theoretical thing for us. We, want you to get the game to the table and we're going to help you get the game to the table, you know, um, in the gauntlet, for example, uh, not just our games, but we have this like incredible online resources folder that anybody can access, whether you're in the gauntlet or not. And we have custom online game playing tools for 500 indie games, you know, it's an incredible resource and service to the whole community, you know, like of, of game designers and game creators and players. And, and it's because play is just so central to who we are and what we do, you know? So yeah, I, I've never really thought about it until you ask the question, but I do like to hear that people are playing the games. It makes me feel really good. And um, that's how I want people to experience them. And it's how I like to get to know people too, to be honest. Like I, um, I ran Brenda Wood Bay a couple of weeks ago for uh, Tony at plus one XP stream and, um, and, and Chase Carter um, from 
Dicebreaker and Polygon and and I had uh, in Chase's case, I, I kind of knew Chase like just you know like from the internet. But when we got to play a game together, I was like, Chase, I'm really glad I got to meet you this way. You know, like I'm glad we get to know each other this way because this is how I like to get to know people. And um, and 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 that felt really good. And so the play is really important to me. You know, um, Jason Morningstar used to say all the time like he doesn't care about he doesn't care how much money the games make. He just wants people to play them. Um, I do care how much money the games make. <laughs> but I also want people to play them, you know? So, um, yeah, uh, I'm not going to be, I'm not so philosophical as Jason is. Um, I absolutely care about how much money they make, but I, but I also, I really, really want people just to enjoy them. And so it does motivate me, definitely. I will say, though, that we keep up a pace that is really hard to sit it's hard to like stop and reflect. So it's not like I ever really like get into a doldrum or, or need that energy. I mean, sometimes you do, you know, but, yeah. but we've always got something kind of going, you know, like when you run four games a week and you're doing, you know, podcasts and when you are publishing games, it's your full-time gig. You um, you've always got something coming up. And so you don't really have time to, to dwell on it too much, to be honest. But, um, but I do like it. I like it when people play the games. Yeah, definitely. What, what drives that 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 constant going, Jason? Is that because um, I want to make it grow, or I need that as a person to function? Or? It is. Um, it's. I am a Type A personality. <laughs> I was an attorney before this. Um, it and I was and I was a I was a good attorney and I was an aggressive attorney. Um, it was maybe not the healthiest space for me, but it. But I was good at it, and. I think that's part of it. I, I just have this, I have this like drive, you know, I, 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 I have to kind of remind myself sometimes that, you know, everyone wants you to succeed and everyone is proud of what you did. You don't always have to like, you don't always have to like be so insistent about that, like, like, you know, we, we did you more, you know, like, like, was that enough? You know, you know, like, so there's a bit of that. I've had to, I've, I have had to learn how to chill a little bit um, being in this hobby because I think it's not the same. It's not definitely not the same vibe as the law. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's just, it's, it's part personality trait. It's part, um, I have to say when I had my health scare, I was, I was actually really weirdly worried about, I mean, not weirdly, but I was worried about, I was really worried about people forgetting who I was. Like I had that really like, like, I understand that. I was like, what if I die and no one remembers me? You know, like, like it's, it's, I knew that's silly because I put stuff out in the world that people would remember me. I bet I, I just had that, like, like this really, it was honestly at the, at the pit of that problem. Like when it was at its worst point, I was less concerned about, being dead and more concerned about no one remembering me. Like that was, that was, it was, it, it, it consumed me. Um, like Jesse, uh, we were kind of getting trophy ready right when this all started happening. And, um, and, and Jesse's like, you're really like, are you sure you're doing a lot? Like, are you like, like, this is a lot. Like, are you, you need to like slow down. And I was like, no, I was like, Jesse, no, this, I was like, this might be, this might be my last chance to put something out in the world that people oh, remember me by, you know? And wow. so I went like, Oh, I went just like, I went 110% and we, and we, and the trophy Kickstarter was, was, was pretty successful and it was all our steam. Like we had almost, we had very little, like we had very little like air coverage from other people. Like it was just us, you know, just kind of hitting the the pavement every day. And it's because I just, I felt this really intense, like 
this might be it. This might be the last thing. This might be the last chance, right? This might be it. This is your legacy thing in the games. Like this, this is it. And um, fortunately it turned out not to be as bad as all that. And I'm I'm thankful for that. Um, But, but yeah, that for a little bit, that was what was really motivating me. And um, but it honestly just comes out of personality, you know, like I just, I just have this particular personality and I like to always be doing something and, you know, so that's good. That's good. All right. So um, 30 years from now, speaking of legacy, 30 years from now, I take my daughter to the uh, Cordova Museum. And <laughs> of course, we, we have to go to the Brindlewood Bay uh, exhibit. And there's, a, there's a big plaque above the door that says, system matters, but play culture matters more. That's what it says. Right Jason, it's stunning. The place is stunning. <laughs> good, <yeah. laughs> you won't believe it. Um and when I go to the when we go to the Brindlewood Bay uh, exhibit, um, the first type thing I want to show her is the moment the seed went to soil. So can you tell me like when you because there, there's I would imagine many ideas that never went to soil for you. But this one did. And I, I want to get a sense of what it was that made this happen. That's a fantastic question. And I have a, and I have I think what's a pretty good answer. So I mentioned that. I was working on The Between. It is a mystery game about monster hunters in Victorian-era London, inspired by Penny Dreadful. And I was doing playtests in the Gauntlet Spaces. This was like late 2018, early 2019. And I was getting good feedback, and the player-facing side stuff was pretty good. And I could run a mystery from my head. <laughs> like, nothing written down, no structure. It was just me in my head doling out mystery, you know? And I ran into this problem in the middle of writing the game where I didn't know what the mystery part of it, how it looked on page, you know? Didn't know how to convey that to people. And it didn't really have a system in place. And so I knew I needed to write, well, what I decided to do is to write a smaller game that just did one type of mysteries, in this case, murder mysteries, and try that out rather than rewriting the between five times, right? I would just make this little game in order to try out the proof of concept, right? Because uh, I had this idea for a mystery system, but I didn't know if it would work. And so I knew I wanted to do a murder mystery role-playing game, you know, to try out this for, for this other game and so on twitter i'm ruminating about this like i do on twitter and someone said someone i don't think there's a murder she wrote role-playing game you know there's not a role-playing game like that i was like no there's not that's a good idea i love murder she wrote i've seen every episode of murder she wrote three times like that sounds great and then lowell francis who is the community manager of the gauntlet and the author of a fantastic game hearts of Lynn, lowell says what about Cthulhu she wrote <laughs> he just he just like he just like threw it off as an idea like or I think I'm pretty sure it was it might have been Lowell Lowell might have just chimed in someone someone said someone said it yeah murder she wrote meets Lovecraft right and I was off to the races at that point I was like oh that's it I was like that's my idea that's the game I'm making you know I love weird horror I love all that stuff I I love murder she wrote I love Midsummer Murders I love all those you know I love Poirot I love all that stuff and so that's that's where it came from. It, Brindlewood Bay was a sketch for the between, and um, 
and it, then it just grew to be its own thing, you know, like it just, it just grew, it just basically while after I put it out and then took my lessons learned from it and started working on the between again in earnest, Brindlewood Bay was finding an audience, right? It was finding its fan base. And so we decided to expand the between or Brindlewood Bay rather. So we, it was originally a little and is still currently before the Kickstarter, at least a 40 page PDF, you know, which by the way is available, pay what you want on drive through, or you can get the preview version on for free on the Kickstarter page. Um, but we decided to make more mysteries. We're like, okay, that version came with like five mysteries. And so we were like, well, let's just expand it. So we have this Codex magazine. We'll put out a mystery every month, you know, a brand new one. And so we did that for a little while. And that just allowed it to stay in people's consciousness. And it just got people kind of like involved in it. And Brindlewood Bay is intriguing because it's kind of the first thing we've ever done in the gauntlet that took on a life outside of the gauntlet, you know? Um, everything else we've done, podcasts and and even Trophy to some degree, although Trophy's finally starting to kind of get out of that orbit a bit, um, has always had like its home base in the gauntlet, right? Like that's where the that's where the, the true core fan base of those things are. Uh, but Brindlewood Bay, uh, Brindlewood Bay broke free. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was ending up in places that I don't know about and I'd never yeah. met those people. And so people were finding it. And so that was really, really exciting. And so we knew at that point that we had something special on our hands. Um, but we were in the middle of fulfilling trophy. And so because of that, um, we decided to, um, we were not going to take any next steps with Brindlewood Bay. We're like, well, mm -hmm. let's just, we've got the time. So let's just, and let's just let it be out there and let's see what we can learn about it. Let's let people play it. Let's let it find its fans, you know, find its audience, which I think is not something that a lot of, um, I don't think a lot of game designers do that before they go to Kickstarter. Right. Um, and so two years later, uh, now that trophy is off the printers, finally, um, we are, we are kickstarting Brindlewood Bay. And, but that's, but yeah, it, it came from a, it was, it was a, it was a sketch <laughs> originally. When did you like there had to have been a moment, Jason, where you were like, wait, what, what you're playing the game? Like, do you remember like when you realized it I left, it left orbit? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I almost printed it out and, and put it on my wall, but um, I, a person, uh, a woman whose name I can't recall, but she sent me a message and she said, um, I've been running your game for like the last eight weeks and I've never run a game before. My boyfriend dragged me to D and D every week. And so I've been playing D and D, but I found this and this like really appealed to me. And so I convinced them to play this and I, and I was going to run it and they love it. And I was like, Oh, that's so good. And then the thing that really got me though, was she said, it's so easy to run. You've made it so easy to run. I feel completely confident sitting down and running this game for, for my group. And I've never done it before. And that really, really touched my heart because everything we do on our podcast, for example, it's all about GM support, right? Like my show, Fear of a Black Dragon, it is 50% of it is like how to run a game, you know? I mean, like it's basically, you know, more or less. And, um, and so that felt really, really good. And I and I got several more messages like that um, from brand new GMs, like brand new GMs. Like they'd never run a game before. Brindlewood Bay was the thing they wanted to run first, you know? And I was like, okay, this is appealing to people. Um, I have managed to make a thing that new GMs feel comfortable running. So that's good. And, and on brand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, on, and on brand. And... 
Um, and I don't know who these people are. I've never met yeah. them. They're not in the gauntlet. They're, they're somewhere out in the world. And so that's when I knew. And um, that was about six months or so into it being released in wow. PDF form. Um, it, it, you know, it, it took a little bit to get going. It was pl- being played in gauntlet spaces immediately, right? Because we released through our Patreon, you know. But, uh, but that was the first time about six months in when I started getting quite a lot of messages from people like, oh, I found this and I played it. Um, the game got picked up in uh, for Bundle of Holding, which helped a lot, and it got picked up for Deal of the Day on Drive-Thru. So those two things really blew it up in a big way. Um, those, those were really, really critical to it getting out to a lot of people. And so um, that's really when the pace of like people reaching out to me started to pick up. And, and, and for me, I, I like to say this all the time because I think it's important. And if anybody's listening and they're thinking about getting into this hobby, they should, hopefully this is helpful. But I always like to say, when the universe comes calling, you have to be ready to take the call, you know, like you got to be ready to take the call. And for me, taking the call meant, okay, there's something about the way I've written this that is, makes it accessible to brand new GMs. So what am I going to do for the next game to take that to another level, like to, to enhance it? Right. And so for the between, I wrote the between with that in mind. Interesting. So the between is, is um, a more intricate game than Redwood Bay. It has more moving parts, but it's just as easy to run. And the text, it's a fuller text. It's a full text, like 150 pages, right? Um, The text is, it so has at its heart keeper support. That's what we call the GM. The the keeper is supported fully. and, And it's because those early messages I got about Redwood Bay, that was like my lesson. My lesson was, okay, this is something you might be good at, Jason. And so let's lean into that. You know, let's, what, what can we do to make that our thing, to lean into it, to, to make the next thing reflect that. And indeed it helped trophy too, even though it's not my game. Um, I think that when we were doing like final editing passes and stuff before sending it off to, um, to the printer, we were able to look at it with these like almost like fresh eyes, like, okay, with this, all this fresh understanding about what we're good at as a publishing group, how can we put that in trophy? And I think trophy reflects a little bit of that as well. And so it's, it's, that was a big part of it. And that was the part that it felt real. It felt uh, very gratifying and, um, and yeah, and it, and it synced up so nicely with what I like in the hobby. You know, like I like to GM. I like to help other GMs. I love GM advice. I can talk about GMing all day. And um, and I, in fact, have talked about GMing for literal hundreds of hours that you can go listen to. And, you know, it's kind of my thing. And um, yeah, so that was, but that was it. Yeah, that was kind of how it all started to get going like that. Yeah. How funny is how that like the feedback loop on that where you're working on one game, you start sketching to to as a proof of concept. It ends up influence the sketch ends up being a full game, influencing the other game. And then it's, it's a loop because it's amazing. Between stuff has ended up in Brindlewood Bay. Brindlewood Bay stuff has ended up in the between. It's all ended up in trophy to some degree, and. Uh, and I like to say that the only way the loop ends is in one is when one of the games finally goes to Kickstarter. <laughs> so Brentwood Bay is finally going to Kickstarter. So that's over oh, now. That's but yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it is fun though. It's, yeah. Now, in, but in order for you to lean into, so you 
the boomerang of Brindlewood Bay comes back. You're like, wow, something's going on Good here. Learn, yeah. And be- but before you can lean into that, you need to understand what that is. So what what did you deconstruct? How did you go back and look at Brindlewood Bay and go, what the hell is going on right now? Why are people grabbing this? Yeah, I, I did. And a lot of it for me was not so much like what is Brindlewood Bay specifically doing? Because in fact, I think that Brindlewood Bay uh, – I, I don't think Brindlewood Bay has enough keeper support. It, uh, people found it easy to run, which is great. I love that. But but the but the Kickstarter version is a is a much fuller book. Like it's expanded and has a lot more of that that learning in it, and it's and it's much more supportive. And so I'm actually really excited about that. Uh, but yeah, it was not so much like okay, what is or is Brindlewood Bay doing? It was more me, Jason, discovering I know how to write a certain way, you know? I don't think I knew that about myself. I know how to do legal writing, which is different. And I know how to do, you know, just like, uh, well, I mean, that's that's basically the only writing I've ever done. Like, I've never done creative writing. I've never written rule books. I've never done things like that, you know? And so a lot of it was just like finding out somewhat late in life, like, you know, that, oh, you have like some skill sets that you weren't aware of, you know? Um, I also think Bridgewood Bay and the Between are very interesting, not just from um um, a design and and um, text standpoint, but also just like color and characters and quotes and stuff. Like I think it's all pretty good, you know. And um, and I take a lot of inspiration from all the people we collaborate with. It's a very collaborative process. But but I, I but it's something I had to discover about myself, you know. And so that's 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 really a lot of what it is. It's like okay, well you 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 are capable of communicating in a way that you didn't know about, and so. What might be, what's the thing that's doing that and how can you expand that and make it better? And we did in the between and we will and Brenda would pay for the Kickstarter edition. So when we talk about games, Jason, it um, there's there's a lot of different levers, right? You've got mechanics, you've got theme, you've got, um, you Structure, know, procedure. Atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where does mechanics fall for you? Is it something that's core, important? Is it something that is a necessary evil in some ways? Um, how how important is the mechanics to you? Uh, it's super important to me. I am not one of these people who believes that mechanics don't matter. I absolutely believe they matter. <laughs> um, and even when you are pretending to ignore them, they matter, right? They still affect things. Right? Still a decision. Yeah. yeah. Even even when you're being a, a Twitter iconoclast and saying it doesn't matter, it matters, right? Right. Um, and I'll have that I'll have that fight every day of the week. Um I but I but I and mechanics are important. Now um apart from the mystery system, which is something I created Brindlewood Bay in the Between's chassis is powered by the apocalypse, right? So the mechanical part, I didn't have to really develop. I just leaned on the good work that Vince and and Meg and other folks have done. Um, I think what's maybe even more interesting is, and, and, and maybe not explored enough by game designers, is structure, which I consider to be a different thing. The structure of play in my mind, is different from the mechanics. Um, the procedures and the rituals, that's different from structure and mechanics. Like, So I, I, I do cabin those things off. And so for structure, this is more the case with the between the Brindlewood Bay, but Brindlewood Bay has it as well, but, but it's much more pronounced in the between. But basically, I think that the structure of play 
does a lot to deliver the kind of experience you want your game to deliver, right? And it's not the hard like what are the, what are the numbers on the dice or what are the stats or what are the, that's that's the mechanics, right? The structure is like for the between. It's part of the playtime is the day phase, part is the night phase, and then we have two interim phases between those um, to help set up everything and to do backstory to different things, right? Like it's it's all very there's like a, a box for everything to go in. And the part of structure, and the reason why I think game designers should think about their game's structure of play more is because where a lot of games uh, fail in terms of like being something that people want to play is the game designer has not considered the cognitive load that the GM and the players have to have in order to play your game. And so the between, and Brindlewood Bay to some degree, but, but definitely the between, the between asks a lot of the play group. It is very collaborative. The players have to be doing world building at certain times. Um, the mysteries are, there's no canonical solution. You have to think of the solution to the mysteries. It, you have to be ready to improvise like details of gothic horror or in Brindlewood Bay's, Bay's case, details of a quaint New England town. The, these games like ask a lot of you, but the reason why it works in my opinion is because... I am keenly aware of cognitive load and how to use the structure of the game to manage that so that when it's time for you to say thing X, you are in the right headspace to say thing X. You are primed and ready to say it. You, you are not like trying to think of 10 different things, right? I also think that GMs need structure of play in order to do a better job at what they're supposed to do, right? Um, how can we expect GMs to you know, to play in, play NPCs, uh, manage the flow of the campaign and the individual session, um, maybe do the reading beforehand. You have to do all these things, right? Even in my games, which are more collaborative in nature, but they still have a keeper. They still have a, a, a person who has to be a little bit more responsible for things. How can we just expect them to do all that without getting giving them a structure to put it all into, right? And so, so to me, structure of play is really important. I think this is my this is kind of my design hobby horse, right? That, mm -hmm. I, that I'm really into, and it's a little cerebral, and it's maybe not the most exciting thing to talk about, but um, but it is what. But I but I care about it. But I think it's I think it's part and parcel with your question about mechanics. So I I I, I pull it apart from mechanics, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Um, yeah. Um, but there's, and there's a whole other conversation about like procedures, about, uh, rituals of play, which is another thing. Uh, I've got lots of thoughts on these things, but, but yeah, it's, it, to me, it's all about managing cognitive load. It's all about, I, I think what makes me able to think about games in this manner is because I do run so many games, um, right. hundreds a year, right? Like, because I play so many games, I think that it, I have a good sense of what works, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I play with so many different people and I play so many different types of things. And so often that you just eventually start to figure out like, okay, what works, <laughs> you know, like, like when I pose the question, what, what works, what do people know how to respond to? What can they plausibly manage? You know, um, that was kind of the issue we had in the early days of the gauntlet. These like really cool, these really cool, innovative little games um, that had some great ideas. They were not super play tested or they, they didn't 
they hadn't had the benefit of like years of like play experience, a play culture experience to kind of develop them in. Right. And so you get them to the table and they have a lot of cool ideas, but like in practice, they were just kind of clunky and they didn't really quite work, you know? Um, and so that's, uh, that's all just good experience. And I think it's why I think about games that way. It always goes back to play for me. You know, it's like, I know what I think works at the table. I have a lot of experience with it. And so I'm trying to codify that now and I'm trying to systematize that for other people, you know? Do you have a sense, Jason, of when that concept of structure solidified for you when you put a name to it and you identified it as not being mechanics, it's its own thing? I don't remember the exact uh, time, but I do know that um, it's something we've talked about in our podcast before, going back a long time ago. And I think I can think of some games that were taking a good stab at it, you know. Um, Mouse Guard had an interesting structure between gm turn and player turn um, i don't like mouse guard as a game i like it as a product but i don't love it as a game um but it had some interesting ideas in this way you know um i think blaze in the dark has a really really interesting take on structure of play right another game that i uh, again i don't personally love but i admire you know uh, i think it's i think you can not love a game but admire it and that's definitely one of those games for me um really not not love to play it but admire what it's doing you know i know why people like to play it if it's not for me even if it's not for me um but it does have some cool structural things right like you know the way it like handles downtime and all that stuff like that is john thinking about structure right and how structure affects play right um so it's something i've always been aware of at least in recent years um and i knew going into the between and brindlewood bay how I wanted that to affect the gameplay. So, yeah. What, uh, what is a non Jason game that you think is, has captured this, right? Mm. So we talk about once mouse guard took a stab at it. Blades takes a stab at it. Is there a game out there? Where you're like, Ooh, someone else is seeing this. Um, I, I do think blades is probably the closest thing. Um, it's, the, I don't love to play blades just because they, it does some things on a mechanical level. I don't love, but from a structural level, I really love it. I mean, like clocks are a brilliant way of managing the campaign. Um, now, John Harper didn't invent clocks that came from other games, but but I think it was implemented really nicely there. Um, uh, Sprawl, the Sprawl, the game that arguably did bring clocks to a lot of people, uh, does some interesting things in the PBTA space as far as structure goes. Um, yeah, uh, but but even like even like when it's not like a major part of the game. There are games that have like, especially like in their setup procedures, where the game designer is clearly cognizant of like the role of structure, right? Like, um, I love here. I love in Monster Hearts, for example. I love the um, there's a part in the very beginning where you make a a seating chart for your teenagers, right? And that whole process of like, where do you sit? And then you answer questions and it happens in a really specific point in the game, right? Um, and to me, that's not mechanical, that's structural, right? Um, and so, yeah, that, that there's lots of like smaller examples. I think Blades is probably the biggest and best example of a game that like really has it at its heart, you know? Um, even if it's not quite how I would do it, but, but it is, but it's definitely there. Um, yeah, those are, yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. So someone is sitting, they bought the bundle of holding, they've got, they got Brindlewood Bay for mm. it. They read it. They, maybe they've run it. Maybe they haven't. And then they, you know, listen to us talk for an hour or so. And, um, what's going to make them get the Kickstarter? So what's coming? Yeah. So Kickstarter 
to me, we have had two years to sit with this game, to play this game, to learn about this game. Um, and I think we always thought there was going to be the like final, like, version of it you know it's final form the boss transformation it's finally there um so 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 it it was always kind of a thing that was going to happen you know um i think what we're trying to accomplish with the kickstarter is we're saying this is the full brindlewood bay experience okay so what you get so that we're, we're kickstarting two things we are kickstarting the core book, Brindlewood Bay, and we're kickstarting another book at the same time called Nephews in Peril. And the core book is the original rules, but expanded and slightly revised. Um, the core book also includes a big section on keeper advice and keeper support that did not exist in the original rules. It has advice on writing mysteries, which did not exist in the original rules. And, um, and it comes with six mysteries. So it's everything you need to play a full campaign, just that one book. Nephews in Peril is if you want more variety or if you just love Brindlewood Bay and you want to like go back to it again. So Nephews in Peril, about a third of the book is setting material for the town of Brindlewood Bay. A lot of setting is built into the mysteries already, mm -hmm. but this is like just extra setting. So sometimes you just need to know the name of the coffee shop or the name of the ice cream parlor or whatever, right? So this has all that. It has all the characters. It has each of the locations has my 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 custom technique called paint the scene built into them. Um, it, it's got all that stuff in there. And then it has 10 more mysteries on top of that. Wow. So now the mist, the extra mysteries in nephews in peril are interesting because six of the 10 are murder mysteries like you find in the core book, but four of them are what we call sweeps week mysteries. So <laughs> <laughs> you are very good at naming Thank things. You. So. Yeah. So, Brindlewood Bay, of course, is presented as a TV show, right? And so Sweeps Week Mysteries, uh, for people who don't know, uh, for people of a certain age in America, uh, network television used to do Sweeps Week. This is when they would get their ratings for Nielsen and get paid, right? So, so they would do these stunt episodes of your favorite shows in order to get eyeballs on it, right? And so what Sweeps Week Mysteries are is they are mysteries that are not about a murder, necessarily, they are a little more supernatural in nature, and they don't take place in the town. They take place somewhere else in the world. Uh, it's the same characters, but they're somewhere else. And the way they function in the game is different ways. Um, maybe you finished the main campaign and you want to keep going. That was mm -hmm. We started developing those mysteries just because people were like, we finished the campaign. We love these characters. We want something else to do. <laughs> and so we made these like one-off sweepsweep mysteries so that those people could keep playing their characters. Um, so it's a way of extending your campaign. Or the way I use them uh, is sometimes I want to do a side story because maybe I have a player missing. And I, and so I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to interrupt the main campaign because they're not there. So the rest of us who are here, we're going to go play a sweepstake mystery while we're waiting on that person to come back. Um, and they're also good for one shots as well. So if you're just like running out of convention or something, it's a, they're great contained one shot mysteries as well. So, um, so we have those as, as well. So between the two books, you've got 16 mysteries, um, all the rules, all the setting you could want. It's all in there, but to play a full campaign, you just need the core book. That's the only book right. you need to play the whole campaign. Um, but if you just want more variety and more stuff, then Nephews in Peril is there for you. I will say that we anticipate there will be stretch goals that will increase the number of mysteries and other content going in the books, but that's what's currently planned. Um, yeah, so 
basically, yeah, the answer is like, if you just want the full Brindlewood Bay experience, the thing that we've been leading up to for two years, this is it. So. All right. So last question about Brindlewood Bay. Um, I get, I back the Kickstarter. I get the book. Oh, I'm so excited. Read the whole through the whole thing. Um, and then I break into your house <laughs> and I find some of the original notes, some of the original sketches of Brindlewood <laughs> yeah. Bay and I put them next to each other. Sure. And the first thing I want to know is what didn't change. So uh, I will tell you, I, 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 I love the gist of your question. I will tell you that you will find nothing because the way I work is I think about a thing for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and then really? I write it immediately. <laughs> yeah. No so kidding. I wrote Brindlewood Bay in like two days uh, when I finally sat down to do it. Um, I wrote the between in two weeks. Like, so it, I've been, I've been ruminating it and planning it forever. And then when I sat down to actually write it, it was like, boom, 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 done. So, uh, there's not a lot of written stuff. However, I will play along with your question and say, um, I think the biggest thing, the, the biggest difference is, well, I want to know what's the same. Oh, it's the same. Oh, yeah. What didn't change? Oh, what didn't change? Oh, so when you good. vomited that thing out the first time versus what I buying on Kickstarter now. That's a fabulous question. Yeah, I like that. That's a really good question. The thing that has not changed is I have a really particular authorial point of view. This is something I've learned about myself, which is I like for my games to have a really particular, like a camp element to it. There's a bit of humor, a lot of my own humor and my references is all in there. But that's just the sort of like... um, that's just the uh, the the prelude to what becomes a scary horror thing, right? So, I I know how I work. I know what I like to put out in the world, and even when I'm running games, games that are not my own games, there's a really particular like, oh, this is kind of funny, and there's some humor, and we're all kind of getting into it, but then it gets really dark and <laughs> turns, right so that has not changed uh that is absolutely the same nice. um yeah most of the rules have stayed intact uh some things are changing but not all of it's mostly intact um but no the thing that's not changed is that it is it is my um my voice on the page right yeah. um and and actually one of the things i think is really fun about something I've learned that I actually quite enjoy about the publication process and being a publisher. And this is a lot of what my partner does on the editing side. Uh, we have a lot of contributors that we work with. And so we've got, you know, of the mysteries, I've only written six of them. All the rest have been written by other people. But what's fun is taking all the contributor stuff and taking my stuff and making them all feel like one product. It's a, it's a skill that we're, We've had to learn. <laughs> um, this is true of Trophy, too. Trophy, it's Jesse's game, but it's three books. Over the course of all three books, there's something like 50 writers. Um, wow. Yeah, and we have managed from the editorial side to make it all feel like one cohesive voice. voice. Yeah. And that is, um, listeners, That's a big deal. listeners, yeah, it's not the kind of thing you'll, you shouldn't notice it. Like you should not, the, the, the key is you won't notice it, but boy, it's a skill. Like it is a, it's a big deal. And um, I think we've gotten pretty good at it. Uh, trophy was a, was a, that was the proving ground, right? Like it, we had to make it work there. And so, but it's actually flowed into all of our other games too. So um, as, as a tangent to your question, I, I, that is, you know, kind of authorial voice has not changed. And, and I have, we have made sure that, that all of our contributors 
or contributing writers are all kind of in the same voice as us too. So. So Jason, everybody's going to scroll down. They're going to hit the link. We're recording this before the Kickstarter launches, but it's being released. So the Kickstarter is live right now while they're listening to this. They're going to click the links and whatnot. Um, but I want to talk about um, first, uh, where can we get more Jason? I am um, I am on Twitter all the time. <laughs> um, it's Jason Cordova 6. We have a website for the gauntlet. It's gauntlet-rpg.com. That's where you can find everything we do in the gauntlet, or at least information about it. Um, I do host an any winning podcast, uh, Fear of a Black Dragon, which is about old school role playing games. Um, that podcast is honestly like that, that podcast remains my like singular joy. <laughs> like I love that show so much. I love making it like uh, my co-host Tom is in Hong Kong. And so I have to get up super early in the morning to record that with him. But I love it. I will get up. I'll get up at five in the morning for Tom every day because i just i just love sitting down with him and talking about modules and um so definitely go listen to my show fear of black dragon i I think you will like it listeners it's it's it is a um i I, tom and i have amazing chemistry and i think you can just hear it when you listen to us so yeah all right last but not least we've been plugging jason stuff i want to do something a little bit different uh one thing that i find always very interesting jason is what are creators consuming so recently what is something that you have latched onto and are just voracious over a game, a movie, a video, uh, something you've been watched on Netflix? What is something that got its hooks into you and you just couldn't get enough of it recently? How many do I get to name? Do I get how many things? <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I am. Uh, I am currently right now rereading. I'm going back and reading old Stephen King books. Um, Interesting. That I did not read when I was younger. Um, I read a couple of them, but I otherwise kind of missed Stephen King. And I've been thinking a lot about like a sort of uh, like unified horror setting, you know. And so I've been kind of trying to think. That's kind of something he does in his writing, you know. And so that's been really sort of. I, I just think he's a. I don't think he gets enough credit for being a good writer. He's a really good writer, and it's he's a good grabby writer, you know. Um, but I'm also reading it because I'm just trying to like. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm interested in his like storytelling structure. So I've been kind of thinking about that a lot um, on TV. The things that I'm always, I've always got some TV show, but I think the thing that's really, um, really doing it for me uh, lately, but also not lately. It's, it's all the time. I, I just go back to it all the time. I love, uh, I love the crown on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever oh, watched the crown. So oh gosh. Whenever a new season of the crown comes out, I set aside my whole weekend to watch it. Like it is crown weekend and that is it. Leave me alone. You know, um, I love, um, yeah, that's, that's a TV thing that I kind of really been into. Oh, for movies. I am, um, I'm really digging all the A24 movies. Uh, I all the What's A24? A24 is like the, it's kind of like a, they're an indie studio that um, they okay. put out most recently, like the Green Knight and oh, uh, Midsommar. Okay. Um, I, I love A24 horror movies, especially. And I've been, uh, I've been kind of going back and watching some of the ones that I missed when they were in the theaters. Um, my dream, <laughs> and also Jesse Ross's dream is to make like, trophy versions of a24 horror movies right like we would love to get that license um uh so that's another thing too yeah so that's kind of where presently all my 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 stuff i'm taking in is so i don't usually do this but i'm gonna have to um let's make it about me um have you been have you gotten into because this is a new thing for me is the korean horror films 
Um, well, I guess it depends on what you have in mind in particular, because I have watched Korean horror films. But like, like a wailing, um, some of the newer ones. Uh, uh, I mean, I watched, I, I, uh, I think, I don't think Parasite really counts as a horror movie, but I really loved that. Well, I, I put that in, yeah, the, in, the, yeah. in, in that group. The yeah. Game and stuff. I, I mean, yeah, I kind of watch that stuff when it comes out. I wouldn't say I'm like a huge connoisseur or anything, though. Yeah. Yeah, that I I I am a big right horror now. fan. Yeah. Well, I'm a big horror fan, <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah. and um I just was flipping around and came across the wailing. Yeah. And I came out. out I came out the other side different. Oh wow. Okay, good. That's good. I love yeah, I mean, I'm a big horror fan too. I um like the exorcist different. Oh wow. Okay. That's really yeah. exciting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Go check it out. <laughs> go check it out. That's my hot tip for you. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. Jason, I can't thank you enough for this. Um no, I really appreciate it. Um this was a, this was a joy. Oh, thank you so much. This is this is great fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And you listening, you listened to the whole damn thing. And I appreciate you too. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, Floorheads. You still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway. Thanks for sticking around. Take care.